welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. From WHQR Public Media, I'm your host, Camille Mojica. This week, we're going to talk to Ben about breakfast with Buster, and what does community mean, and what does safety mean? Stick around. Welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. I'm here with Ben Shockman and a stuffy nose. Hi, Cammie. Hi, Cammie's stuffy nose. <laughs> Hello, Ben. This week, you are here to talk to us about Breakfast with Buster. Is yes. That, was that actually what it was called? It was. It was called Breakfast with Buster. Now, who is Buster? Buster is William Buster. He is the CEO of the New Hanover Community Endowment. It's a huge, long backstory to what that is. We don't have time. <laughs> um, I can link our previous reporting on that. Yes, that would be wise. Um, it is a billion-plus-dollar uh, private foundation that was made from the sale proceeds of the New Hanover Regional Medical Center. And it is now in the middle of its second grant cycle. Uh, first grant cycle was last year. Mm. And as part of the endowment's community outreach to try and, one, just learn more about New Hanover County, because this is a pretty new organization. Yeah. And two, to figure out what grants it should approve and where to send money and what the problems it should address with those grants are. Mm -hmm. They've been doing a series called Breakfast with Buster. They do one every quarter where you literally go and have breakfast with William Buster and a bunch of other um, folks from the community. These are um, these these could be elected officials. These could be uh, nonprofit leaders. This could be reporters. Uh, Rachel Keith went to the education breakfast Kelly Kinoyer went to the housing breakfast, and I went to the community safety breakfast. Community safety. So that's what yes. we're going to talk about today and what happened at the meeting and try and figure out some definitions here. Yes. Now, before I say anything else, I want to say that we were allowed to go under what's called Chatham House Rules. What? Named after, and it, because it's British, it might be Chatham House. I call it, it Chatham this, House. This is an actual thing? It's an actual thing. It's okay. a think tank in England. Um which pioneered this interesting middle space between on the record and off the record. Okay. And that is you are to, to really, because it wouldn't really do much good as a think tank if you came up with all these great ideas and then could never tell anyone. But on yeah. the other hand, sometimes to really get to the core of an issue, you got to deal with uncomfortable truths and you got to be willing to like take a swing and miss. Yeah. And maybe say something inappropriate and not immediately stop the conversation. Yes. So what the rules are is that you can talk about what was talked about. You can share the ideas, but you can't say person X said Y. Okay. Like person X was doing great and then they said something really Islamophobic or anti-Semitic and so we canceled them. So you can't do that. You can't do that. But you could say something along the lines of... One of the ideas we talked about was this. Okay, okay, okay. Right. So if it seems like I'm being, like, weirdly vague, <laughs> I'm being weirdly vague. Chatham House rules. Um, yes, rather. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to talk about our first point, which is responsive grants. Now, I actually just learned what this term means in the newsroom five minutes ago because I don't, I've never heard of this before. So what is a, what's a responsive grant? Yeah, and I think these might be called different things, but this exists in the world of nonprofit and philanthropy, you know, giving and getting. We're talking about grants that are pretty limited in terms of what they can be used for. So a nonprofit comes to a philanthropic uh, group 
or a philanthropic group puts out an opportunity mm -hmm. and says, we want you to do this, or we want to do this. Very specific, you know, it's going to involve hiring this many people or, you know, this many people will be on board. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to do this for this period of time. This is what we hope to accomplish. And a lot of the times these grants deal well, specifically with the endowment over the last year, a lot of the grants are dealing with an issue, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but in a kind of more superficial way. So I'll give you some examples. Hmm. Um, the one we talked about in the newsroom, because of America's long, nasty history of racism and classism and economic inequality, there are areas of, of cities and towns all across the United States where there are concentrations of black families that just have, that are, do not have the same finances as white families. Mm -hmm. It is not fair. It is not equitable. There are dark, ugly, historic reasons for that. Yeah. It is common to see nonprofits that try to help kids not feel that unfairness, mm -hmm. like a punch in the face, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Programs that like help kids, you know, give kids bikes or take kids on tours of college campuses because their families might be too busy and might not have the means to, like, take them to college campuses. So are those programs making those kids feel better? Yes. I've seen it. It's amazing. You know, mm -hmm. when a kid is, like, when you're, like, the one kid on the block who doesn't have a bike and you get a bike, you feel great. I uh, mean, yeah, I've, I've been to, uh, back in Long Island, I've been to DV shelters where we did, like, a Christmas uh, for the children of the victims and, like, they got to open presents and yeah. they got to yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, but is that fixing the nasty history of mm -hmm. slavery and segregation and Jim Crow and redlining mm. and uh, racist uh, laws and so, police <laughs> policing? No, so no, it's, it's not. It's kind of like a I don't know if I want to necessarily call it a band aid because I don't even know if it is a band aid, but yeah. it's surface level. And a, yeah, it's surface level, and I want to be clear, a lot of these are people doing this out of the goodness of their hearts with limited resources. Yeah. They're not equipped or resources or funded to fix the, the inequities of American culture. Yeah, so they, they make do with what they have. They make, and they do good work. I want to be very clear about that. Okay. But the endowment will eventually be able to put 60 million, at least, at least $60 million a year into our community, into New Hanover County specifically. Nowhere else, just New Hanover County. A year? A year. Okay. At well. least. You can do a little bit more than get kids' <laughs> bicycles with $60 million a year. So one of the things Buster has said is let's take big swings. Okay. Let's actually try and take a crack at some of those underlying reasons that kids don't have bikes or kids can't visit college campuses or whatever the issue is. Okay. It's not 100% clear how we're going to do that. Thus, the breakfast's with Buster. Okay. So the idea is let's get smart people who care about this stuff in a room <laughs> yeah. and take some of the pressure off. Because when we're talking about, you know, the issues that impact our community the most, we're talking about fraught subjects like race, like gender, like economic inequality. Uh-huh. Um, Things like, that sometimes make people uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah, for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so... That's the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's why. So this meeting was to talk about community safety. Community safety. Okay. Now, community safety. So there's two parts to this. What? Who are we talking about when we say community? New Hanover County? Yeah. So <laughs> that's actually a pretty fraught issue. Um, Is it really? There are some people who 
are, are very insistent that we should talk about community, the new Hanover County community. As a whole. As a whole. So all New Hanover County citizens. Yeah. And okay. I personally think that's um, disingenuous. For one, um, there are so many issues that don't start or stop at the county border. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but by its bylaws right now, the endowment can only fund stuff in New Hanover County. So that's kind of what we got to talk about. But when we talk about community, I don't know. I, it, it's hard for me to... I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone who lives in Brunswick or Pender County or have a, you know, there are jobs that involve, if you work at the hospital, your job involves multiple counties. Yeah, um, nine. nine. <laughs> yeah, if you work in economic development, you're thinking about multiple counties. So there's that part of it. And then there's also, I mean, who do we mean when we say communities? Are we, is there, is there some through line that connects every person in New Hanover County? Probably, but... It seems to me that what impacts and, and what concerns exist in a community like, say, the Hispanic population that largely undergirds uh, parts of our service industry, uh-huh. they probably are concerned about different things than middle-class white folks living in Borders Neck, who are probably thinking about different things than people living in, in Houston Moore, who, as you pointed out, probably thinking about different things than students. Yes. Which is kind of their own community. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember when I was in Boston and I got that paper for jury duty. And yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? I don't live here. And no, when you do go to a university, you become a resident of that county, wherever you are. So technically, all of mm-hmm. those UNCW students yeah. Yeah. are head of a county citizens. Yep, and they can vote. They can, and but they're yeah. like they're university kids, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it could be age because... And some of these things can actually bring together people in a way that doesn't involve race or class or finances. For example, all students have to deal with bullying. Yes. Regardless of whether they're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, right in the middle. It's just the thing that happens It's school. just the thing that happens because kids, God bless them, can be terrorists. <laughs> they can be, kids are evil they sometimes. They can be tough. Um, and seniors. Think about seniors. Um, the challenges that seniors face probably transcend race and class in some ways. Yeah. So what we mean when we say community is not clear. Okay. Um, And maybe that's okay. But I think when people say, like, what's best for the community, that's kind of a cheat. You got to be more specific. Yeah, what's what's best for said community? Yeah. Because it may not be the same, yeah, between the different types of communities. And so, so that's the community. And then there's safety. All right. This, okay. what, 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 safety from what? <laughs> exactly. Safety from what? Um, some of the ideas, I, th- I can tell you what I said. <laughs> I can tell you what I'm going to say. Chatham House rules. But, I mean, one of the questions I put to the group was, what are we talking about? Are we talking about domestic violence? Are we talking about crimes of desperation, like you know, drug abuse, self-harm, gambling? Uh-huh. Um, are we talking about mental health in general? Um, are we talking about, you know, drug use uh, and the related violence that comes along with the drug trade? Are we talking oh. about gang-adjacent violence? Are we talking about, you know, one of the examples I gave to staff afterwards is, um, you know, a specific concern that one community has would be people I've worked with in the kitchen world who are undocumented, who aren't legal residents. Okay. Um, or who they might be legal residents. Maybe they have family members who aren't legal residents. You know, sometimes they were born here, but their parents or grandparents are here illegally. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
that's a pretty scary situation. I mean, say whatever you will, but you have to acknowledge to the human level, we all know what it's like driving around with expired tags or, <laughs> you know, you know what it's like when you're at the very basic level, unless you are an absolute, like, Boy Scout, you have speeded. And you've had this experience of going down the highway faster than you should, and you see that car. Oh, that happened to me once when I was coming back from Jacksonville. So easy. Yeah. And then you see the car, and they flash their lights at you, and you're yep. like, oh, I'm yep. sorry. Or you just see, like, you just see that, like. The reflection. Yeah. You see that side <laughs> lamp. Yes. And it's just, like, peeking out of the bush, and you're like, ah! Oh, no. Oh, no. Please. So imagine that, except when you get pulled over, you don't get a talking to and a ticket. You get sent to a detention center in Atlanta, and then your whole life is turned upside down. Um, Man. So that's not an issue that people outside of that community really face. I mean, yeah. I'd just get pulled over. You just get pulled over and yelled at. Cami Mojica. Where are you in a Terran hurry to? <laughs> um, so again, it's there are a lot of people working on a lot of different types of safety. Because there are human rights attorneys who are trying to help those people. Yeah. Um, you know, either deal with the repercussions of being in the United States illegally if they do become justice involved or helping them become legal citizens or helping them find, you know, work visas or whatever. Um, there are people working on bullying in schools. There are people working on drug abuse. But it's not clear to me right now if the conversation is to the point where we have a good cohesive wraparound definition of what safety means. And what some of the underlying issues are that we could take a big swing at. Mm. But there was one idea that came out. And again, I, I hopefully this person will come on the show eventually and then they can take credit for it. Ba -da -ba. Ba -da -da. But for now, I'll just give you the idea. Okay. So the idea is you survey the community for ACEs, so Adverse Childhood Experiences. Okay. Which is... A score. Like, of, a, like a number? Yeah, it's a number. Okay. Um, and there's a whole survey. This, this came out of a study by Kaiser Permanente mm -hmm. in the 90s. Rachel Keith has done a ton of reporting on this. I'll also link her work in there because she won awards for yeah. it. And she did. She won a RTDNAC award for it. First place. First place. So ACEs, uh, one of the benefits of ACEs is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of fraught conversations behind closed doors about who the endowment is for and who it helps, um, and will it focus just on poor people, will it focus just on the black community? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for people who feel that way, um, some people say like, well, those are the communities who need it the most, so that's where the help should go. Some people feel like that's unfair because the endowment belongs to everyone. But yeah. if you look at ACEs, then you're looking at adversity, not identity. Yes. And it's, it's a way to like see who needs help. So theoretically, okay, so it, it, someone who is in a lower income bracket in a predominantly black neighborhood takes an ACEs survey and they get a certain number. But let's say someone who is more affluent takes an ACEs survey as well, but they get the same score because they both had hard childhoods. Yep. Haha. -ha. Yeah. So okay. there, there is a, you know, this was the example that was given. There's someone right now living in Landfall um, with all the goodies money can buy. Yes. Who is being sexually abused by a family member. Mm. Statistically, it's unavoidable. That person needs help. Even though they're, they might have all the privileges of race and class, they still need help. 
Mm-hmm. And there, are, but also, if you help everyone who needs help, you are going to disproportionately help people in low-income and minority neighborhoods because being poor or being a minority in the United States is traumatic, and that increases your ACEs score. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of a Marx. I mean, <laughs> I'll just say it. I'm going to get in trouble, but <laughs> it, it is a more Marxist approach. It is a more class-based, economic-based approach because a lot of the things that cause ACEs are economically based. Not having a full family, um, you know, being food insecure. Mm-hmm. These are economic. They're non-economic factors for sure. Yeah. But if you help everyone with ACEs, you're going to help people who are marginalized economically. The problem with all of this, um, there's, I mean, I'm sure people, there's, not everyone is on board with ACEs. It's generally like a pretty uh, solid theory. Okay. But how do you survey the community? Do you, do you mean the question is like with paper? Yeah, or? Like, yeah. How, oh, like actually yeah. logistically. How logistically, how do you do it? This has been, this is not a new idea. This idea's been kicking around for a while. Um, so some of the suggestions were if you do this through the hospital, so say like when you're born, Yeah. right? You can, the doctors and nurses are probably going to have at least some information about you. Uh-huh. They might be able to at least get a good sketch of what your ACEs profile might look like. Okay. The question is, is that protected by HIPAA? Um, that's the federal uh, health privacy law. Oh. So another question is, could we do it through the schools? Um, because if you did the survey, at least at all um, charter and public schools, okay, you're not going to get everyone, but you're going to get a good cross-section. And also people going to private schools, at least you know, conv- anecdotally, seem yeah. to have more resources. And they, maybe they could opt in. Maybe private schools could opt in. Um, there is probably going to be some pushback against that idea from the current school board who have made it known that they're uncomfortable with the idea of surveys that ask kids questions about sex. And unfortunately, hmm. sexual abuse is one of the things that causes ACEs. It's one of the primary ones. Yeah. And so that's, you know, th- that's the way the board feels right now. Future boards might feel differently. They might change their minds. They might be able to come to an agreement where if you put enough guardrails around this or if you just let parents opt in. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, and I, I know this is grim, but like if you've got a situation where a parent or friend of the parent is abusing a kid and it's up to them whether or not the kid gets asked if they're being abused, mm-hmm. they might not let their kid opt in. So the school system is a possibility, but there are some challenges there. Okay. Hospital system is a possibility, but there's some challenges there. Because of HIPAA. Because of HIPAA. Okay. Um, And even if the school were able to do those surveys, there's FERPA. There's the federal uh, law that protects student privacy. Oh, yes. So would the schools be able to share that information with whatever nonprofit would then be connecting those students to help? Or would the school then have one more thing it was responsible? I mean, the school system is taxed right now. So would that now, would that be a whole new endeavor that the school would have to take on? Who would do that? What? Who would staff that program? So question. Yeah. When an ACEs score would be calculated, and let's say the school was allowed to, right? They were yeah. allowed to reach out to a nonprofit. Do they just give the score of the student, or do they have to stipulate, like, these are the specific parts that they marked off on their – because that seems like that would be the issue, it right? It seems like that would be the issue. I think one, one way to do it might be that giving just the score might mm-hmm. anonymize it enough to allow a workaround. Okay. And then once you connect that person to, say, a resource navigator, then you could basically tell that person. And figure out. Figure out what do you need. Okay. Um, 
that's still a lot of logistical. It's a lot of logistics. And this is a, but this is the kind of really big swing that William Buster has been talking about. Okay. You know, he's, he's still, the endowment's committed to continuing to do responsive grants, at least for now. Yeah. Um, so, again, none of this is to disparage the giving the kids Christmas yeah, presents and bikes and stuff. But if you want to take a really big swing, this is a really big swing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of logistical challenges. Um, but they, but we, you know, the, the point of these conversations was to start thinking a little bit bigger so that someone like me <laughs> being like, well, that'll never work, doesn't end the conversation. Yeah. Because you, you could be willing to say something that sounds a little crazy uh, or a little far-fetched. Um, but I, when you have tens of millions of dollars, things are less far-fetched, they're, I think. They're more within reach. They're more within reach. Um, so that's Breakfast with Buster. Uh, it's really a fascinating experience. BWB. BWB. Yeah, and kudos um, to William Buster and his staff for inviting me and Kelly Kinoyer and Mitchell Keith. Super cool. Um, and hopefully they um, keep inviting us because these are fascinating conversations. Well, thank you for abiding by the Chatham House rules, and thank you for being on the podcast with me this week. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Cape Fear Rundown. Check out our show notes for relevant links and titles to the music we use this week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just general feedback, feel free to get in touch. Shoot me an email at cmojica, that's M-O-J-I-C-A, at whqr.org, or you can find me on X at Cami Reports. I'd love to hear from you. I'm your host, Camille Mojica, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.